Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to another uh, episode of the Evolve Wellness Experience. Dr. Bill Jensen here, of course, and today I have an amazing guest uh, as an ode to Missy Elliott. Today's podcast, we're going to put that thing down, flip it, and reverse it. So we're not going to be talking about human health today. Today we're going to be talking about animal and pet health. And uh, I know from seeing it in my practice and now from personal experience in the practice that sometimes that's more important than human health. <laughs> Believe me that when I tell you that. So uh, I got Dr. Matt Parker here today and he's going to be an awesome guest. He's got a lot of good things to share with all you pet owners out there. And uh, as always, I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this one. So enjoy. All right. Well, welcome back. So yeah. So today I was, you know, thinking about what type of uh, podcast we're going to go through, and you know, we always touch touch on different health topics pertaining to human beings and research and supplementation or sleep and exercise, dietary recommendations. But I am now the new proud owner of a, I guess he's a Bobby, coming up on a five month old puppy named Barry. For those of you who are patients of mine out there, you've certainly seen him on a lot of our emails and a lot of our social media as he is the new official mascot for Premier Wellness Centers. And so today we got uh, Dr. Matt Parker, he's a veterinarian, and uh, he's the one purely responsible now for me not killing the dog almost five times probably since I've had him over the last uh, few weeks here. So Dr. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Thanks for that good introduction. Absolutely, my friend. So so clarify for me, you probably know, I was kind of trying to think about this actually. So Amber, uh, my girlfriend, Dr. Amber Worley is the one who contacted you originally when we got Barry. I'm not sure how, did she find out about you through another per? Somebody recommended you. I just can't remember who that was, if it was the people. Um, I... You know what? I don't maybe Wagnolia, Wagnolias, maybe maybe the yeah. So there's a there's a kind of a holistic boutique pet food store in Stewart at Wagnolias. Um, they might have recommended me, and she may have found me on Google. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I don't I don't remember, but there's a few of the local pet food stores know about me, and um, and I'm trying to you know get myself known on Google. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's the place where a lot of people find us for sure as they go online and search for Kairos and look at reviews and all that thing. So so I, I'll just tell you, I mean, obviously everybody knows me as a chiropractic physician. I, I try to do everything as holistic as possible. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big a, a big advocate for not putting as many drugs or medications or things into my body as is absolutely necessary. I'm obviously, as you know, I speak and I preach about all the time. I'm into clean eating and, and you know, good water supply. So, so when it comes to my fur baby, as it may be, you know, I, or even, you know, basically like my child, I don't have any children, but you know, I'm going to take care of him like I take care of myself. So Dr. Worley was said, you know, I don't really want to take him to a regular vet. You know, I've heard some bad stories and you know everything else and I just can't imagine it's really great so why don't we find a holistic veterinarian uh, doc uh, that sees eye to eye with our values and what we believe in health and where it comes from and lo and behold you know there you are and, and I can certainly say my experience has been such far like first class amazing experience I can't speak highly enough about you to all my patients and I think some of my patients certainly are going to be contacting you in the near future to take a look at their pets. Um, 
But tell us, tell us about your background and, you know, why'd you, why'd you want to get into being a veterinarian? Yeah. So, um, thanks for the uh, accolades with your puppy. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been fun for me too, so (laughs) far. Um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but for some reason from a young age, I just knew I wanted to be a veterinarian. You know, I was always, I was alone a lot as a kid and I was, it's just me and my dog, you know, out in the woods or whatever. So I just always knew I wanted to be a veterinarian, even before I knew what that meant. Um, because actually being a veterinarian in the beginning was a lot different than what I thought it would be. You know, everybody kind of thinks, you know, you're playing with puppies and it's just fun, fun, fun. And, you know, it, it's, it's not exactly that, but I, um, I've kind of evolved to the things you're talking about. I didn't start out this way. Um, I started out, you know, I was eating fast food and restaurant food and grew up in a family where um, I told somebody the other day in the summer, I would drink a two liter of Dr. Pepper every day as like a teenager or a kid when I was out playing um, and things like that. So I didn't know anything about health or wellness. And I didn't go to vet school till I was about 30 or 32 or so. I did some other things first and I knew I had to be a veterinarian. So I finally went to vet school and in vet school, you know, I learned a lot about Western medicine and, you know, antibiotics and vaccines and probably not supposed to say that word. Um, yeah, we don't want to get canceled. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, um, might have to edit that out anyway. So I learned about those things. Um, but I didn't really learn anything about health and wellness and all the stuff that, you know, you're doing and you're talking about all the stuff that I think really matters to, you know, longevity and life and, you know, being fulfilled and having quality of life. So I was a regular veterinarian for about six years and I just finally enough things happened that I started seeking, you know, to make some changes and I became a whole lot different than what they taught me to be in vet school. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, absolutely. I, I think traditional Western medicine is more about diagnosis and disease management than vitality and longevity and, and the promotion of health. And I guess you could say that in both humans and animals alike, you know, that's just kind of like the model, right? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree that, um, you know, I am, and I, and I run into this problem with other holistic vets or even some holistic healthcare practitioners, maybe that it's like a lot of us don't understand the word holistic. You know, holistic doesn't mean I'm anti Western medicine. I just think Western medicine, like you said, it, it manages things. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't help unless, you know, you have trauma you know, trauma, accident, you know, broken leg, internal bleeding. Well, then you should go to the regular, you know, emergency clinic. Um, so I think everything has its place, but no, Western medicine is all about, it's not even about managing disease. I think it's about the illusion of managing disease. You know, we give them some drugs and some pills and some injections and, you know, the symptoms subside, you know, everybody thinks they're managing a disease, but you know, it's just getting worse under the surface. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously from real life experience, you know, we had a small little issue with Barry in the beginning, you know, and you were the very first one to say, hey, you know, take him, take him to the emergency vet. You got to get him in and get it looked at and make sure, you know, the blood panels and everything come back, you know, clean, everything's okay, or get an x-ray or cats, you know, whatever it takes in order mm-hmm. to assess, diagnose, and obviously properly manage because that's an acute care situation occurring. That's something that's not, you know, promoting life and health and vitality of the dog. It's saving the dog's life, you know, if it's a serious situation, obviously. So, so that kind of answers my second question that I was alluding to about. So in your style, so I guess like walk people then through, 
Um, the main differences they're going to notice if you're their vet versus going to a traditional vet that they're going to go to okay. at PetSmart yeah. or wherever. Right. Yeah. So uh, the difference is, you know, one is I've thought for a long time, I like coming into people's home. I don't have a brick and mortar practice. I'm only doing house calls. And I started doing that for the reason of, you know, how stressful it is at the vet clinic. I mean, no matter which vet clinic you go to or how much you love your conventional veterinarian, it's usually, you know, high stress and high volume. And, you know, there's, there's always a lot going on there. The vet techs are, they love their jobs, but they're overworked. You know, people are walking in and squeezing in and there's emergencies and they're running behind. They don't get a lunch break. And no matter when they come in the exam room, no matter how much they try to center themselves or be, be cool, you know, the dogs and you can sense the stress in their bodies. Um, and so it's always a stressful place, no matter how hard they try, really, you know, no fault to them. It's just the nature of the business. So I like the idea of coming into the home and, you know, it's like I'm a visitor. I come sit on the couch. I pet the dog. We talk for a while. You know, and the dog, I don't even know they're getting an exam, you know, a lot of the times because I'm just feeling things out as we go. So I like that aspect of it. And I also have found more recently as I've become more holistic and learn more about environmental toxins and everything that I find out a lot being in the home about, about allergies. I'm sure you've talked before about, you know, volatile organic compounds and, you know, the, the plugins and the diffusers and the things that are not essential oils, but the more chemical petroleum based plugins, those cause a lot of allergy and itchy issues for dogs that if that dog comes into the vet clinic, I may never know that that's a factor. When I go into the home, I can see that um, and really talk about it. And then otherwise, the difference, you know, between me and the regular vet is um, I don't have the x-rays and the surgery. I kind of, but that's because like we talked about, like you talked about in the beginning, it's more about prevention and wellness. It's mm -hmm. not about necessarily diagnosing disease. Um, so I don't have x-rays and drugs um, and sedation and, and surgery and those kind of things because I'm more focused on trying to prevent the need for those things. Right. But you do provide some diagnostic um, laboratory, you know, yeah, stool yeah, sample. We Obviously, work. we did stool yeah, sample for yeah. Barry just to kind of check things out. Yeah. We, we can talk and, more and about Barry's, that. <laughs> Barry's stool sample was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a good little thing um, to I'll jump out of order. Um, your dog's poop should not smell terrible. Right. You know, nobody's poop should smell terrible. Mm -hmm. And your poor dog's poop smells terrible. So we're, Agreed. we're <laughs> we're, we're working on that. We're going to work on his microbiome. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I do the routine annual blood work, most of the same general wellness blood work you can get at your vet clinic. And I do a few extra things. I do some hair, mineral tissue um, testing and some microbiome poop testing and uh, some vitamin D tests and a few other things that are not mainstream for the regular vet. So I do some blood work, um, but not much more than that. And then as far as diagnostics, I'm sure you can attest to the fact that the chiropractic exam itself, you know, and the traditional traditional Chinese medicine acupuncture exam, there's diagnostics there. They're just not Western diagnostics, but there's a lot of diagnosing and, you know, finding out what's wrong just with the hands-on mm -hmm. exam and palpation. So, so yeah, I shouldn't say that I don't do diagnostics because I do a lot of diagnostics. Yeah, I, I notice every time you come in, you palpate, you know, occiput atlas relationship with Barry, and just make sure that everything's lined up. And I, I just surprises me that we haven't found anything yet. As he gets the zoomies and runs through the house and like smashes head on into the wall, 
as he did last <laughs> night and bounces right back. No problem. Probably as a result of his good relationship, if his upper cervical spine. But um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, you, you definitely uh, have a much more you're just um, it's just like a really good, almost like chiropractic approach. You're like really, really hands on getting your hands on your patient, you know, just like I do every single day. How many people go to their doctor? Uh, or go to the you know the vet or whatever, and, and they look at them and they never lay a hand on them. You know, I, I just right. think that's a discredit, disservice to humans and, and animals alike. So, I, yeah, that's the other thing the, the the time component. I try to spend an hour. Yeah. You know, um, and in the regular vet clinic in the modern Western you know world, you know, you don't get much time with your veterinarian in that exam room. You know, so mm-hmm. I really like to do a a thorough hands on exam, and mm-hmm. you know, I have the otoscope. I look in the eyes and the ears and other little things but you know it's 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 hard to it's hard to be thorough you know when you got less than 15 minutes you know from uh at the veterinarian where they're supposed to be looking at you know orthopedic health and arthritis and skin health and dentistry and ear eye ear e-e-n-t eye ears nose throat and reproductive health and podiatry and proctology and you know your veterinarian is supposed to do all these things you know, and he has, you know, less time, you know, than, you know, maybe you have focused on chiropractic. I mean, he, so you just, you can't be thorough in that amount of time. So mm. that's the other thing I don't like about the regular vet clinic. They have, they, um, I mean, they have bills to pay. They, that's what they have to do. And I can spend an hour. So I found out a lot more about the dog and the environment and the people, you know, the, the people are a big part of the dog's life. You really have to know what's going on with them. Um, and it's, it's just hard to get that if you don't have the time and the, and the personal relationship in the home. Yeah, no, I, like I said, I, I don't think it gets any more thorough than the way that you manage and practice right now for sure. So, um, I, I thought of this question actually before, and I guess I'd never asked you now within veterinary medicine, when you go to school, I am, I don't know like the curriculum and stuff like that, but I imagine you have like a broad spectrum of like all different animal types, like, and then, and then from there, like a physician, you can go into maybe specialize, you know, some might might do equine, some might do dogs or birds or like, so how does that work? So we, um, so it's, it's four years of doctor school and typically the fourth year, you know, we do our rotations and kind of like interning and stuff. And, at that point, you can start to, you know, track, you know, um, focus on small animal like dogs and cats, which is what I am. Some people focus equine. Some people focus cattle and food animals and mm-hmm. ruminants. Some people go in the exotic route. Some people, you know, with the biggest brain do a little bit of everything. Um, I just focus on dogs and cats because, you know, the ruminants and the food animals and the equines, they have a completely different digestive system and completely you know, different bunch of diseases because their anatomy is so differently, you know, inside, mm-hmm. but on the outside are the orthopedically and structurally, I mean, they're, they're very similar to people. We have all the, all the same bones. They're just in a, you know, a different posture basically. But yeah, so we learn a little bit about everything in vet school. And then we do tend to focus on a certain species um, as we get out. And, and the other thing, kind of to that is everything in vet school, as we already alluded to, is conventional medicine. It's, you know, I read, um, I read Tom, I read a couple of Thomas Cowan's books and in one place he says in medical school, you know, they're like, you know, this is the bacteria strep. It causes strep throat. This is the antibiotic you treat it with. 
next. You move on. Mm-hmm. And there that a vesicle was like that most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where having strep in and of itself is not abnormal nor a disease process. It's probably a very normal bacteria that you could have. It's the overpopulation or overgrowth because of the diseased animal that doesn't that gets it right. out of control, as we know um, in all diseases. So, yeah, that's that's uh, the vitalistic view. <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah, I completely agree. It's all mm-hmm. um, you know. They didn't teach us anything about terrain theory in vet school. It was mm-hmm. all about germ theory, and um, yeah. I am a big believer in terrain. As am I. As am I. So we, uh, so we're we're brand new pet owners. Uh, I, I would have to say that I, I mean I'm a very calm individual. I I don't ever like. I look at all the positives, you know, and stuff like that. So when, when we got a new puppy, I was thinking about all the positive. I certainly wasn't going down the path of like, oh, my God, I hope the dog doesn't die as a result of me not knowing what I'm doing. Um, and I had, I mean, we had obviously, I growing up, I had tons of dogs. I mean, we lived, I grew up in Montana originally. And I think at one point on our farm out in the middle of nowhere, we had... I think 20 dogs like we had a we had German short hairs that it had a litter and we had labs that it had a litter and then I happened as a pet for my in dog in the house my mom had a chihuahua so it's like we we're around dogs I remember that the dogs did come down with parvovirus and I remember there was some of the dogs that that did die as a result of that and the other ones we rushed you know and got them vaccinated and everything and I think some of them pulled through but um so what are the common mistakes that you see new pet owners have most commonly, would you say, um, you know, that are, that are issues with their animals when they're, when they don't know what's going on? Well, I see a lot of people kind of in your situation, you know, they, it's kind of the way I was too. You know, we had pets as, as kids, but we weren't really the primary, primarily responsible for their vet care. And then mm-hmm. as adults, we get one and we realize we don't, necessarily know what we're doing um so all of our you know guidance comes from the the western trained vet and it's and it's all about you know the injections um which i don't disagree with like you said the dogs came down with with parvo i think it you know it's a whole lifestyle shift and it depends on where you are in your perception of the world and in your lifestyle you know, I will, I've told people like, like you who live, you know, very clean. Um, you pay attention to where your food and water come from and lots of exercise and, you know, all the things that you're preaching to your clients and patients, probably. I feel like your dog is going to be healthy enough, have a good microbiome. Um, Eventually. But even if he's, ex- <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we got to work on that for sure. Um, even if he's exposed to Parvo, which he could be. I don't want him to have the toxins and the imbalance in his body that will allow Parvo to move in and do whatever it's there to do. Parvo is just like, you know, buzzards and fungus. It's there to clean up something or to feed off of something. Mm -hmm. Um, Heartworms, all these other things that dogs get, they come in to feed off of something is my viewpoint or opinion. So if we can keep him clean enough, then he shouldn't be an attractive host to Parvo. However, if he's eating, you know, if he's not eating the right food and his microbiome is not in balance, which it isn't, doesn't appear to be right now, then those dogs may need the vaccines. So it depends on your lifestyle and your viewpoint 
and how clean the terrain is as to whether or not I think you get any benefit from the vaccines. And it's a very difficult thing to discuss because as a veterinarian, I'm supposed to be all about vaccines because that's what they teach us in school. And the first thing I know for sure is that we give them too many vaccines. You know, just like people, they get way too many vaccines. The second part is I'm not sure that I believe that vaccines work, but we live in an environment, you know, where there's so much going on that, you know, maybe they help, maybe they don't. So, so it really depends on the lifestyle of the family. So I tell somebody different all the time. I'll tell you one thing and another client or pet owner, I may tell them, you know, if they're in a, whatever dirty means, you know, a dirty environment, um, I may tell them that their dog needs the vaccines, but it doesn't need as many as, you know, the vet wants to give. The, the common mistakes I see, which I think was the original question, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> is, a, is a lack of normal puppy environment. Um, we bring these puppies into the home and for the first six or eight weeks of their lives, they were playing with eight other puppies and a mom and, you know, some chickens or wherever they were. Um, and now they're isolated in the home with people who love them and play with them, but they don't learn proper behavior unless they're around other dogs. Well, your regular vet will tell you they can't go be around the other dogs because they'll get part of it. And I'm going to tell you, you know, let's try to prevent that, number one. But number two, they will have a lifelong behavior issues and problems and not know how to properly behave as a dog and not know how to properly interact with things if we don't get them out into the public and playing with dogs from a young age. Just mm-hmm. like, you know, infants and children at that young age, they're just a sponge of yeah. learning and growing. And um, they've got to be around other dogs. And, you know, it's all the same thing. I'm going to come back to not giving a straight answer is you may go to a dog park where there are a lot of well-trained, well-behaved dogs and your dog's going to learn great things there. You may go to a dog park where all the dogs are untrained and, you know, terrible behavior and your dog's going to learn those behaviors. Mm-hmm. So you have to find you know, somebody good to teach your dog because they don't learn from us very well. They learn from other dogs because they're, they look at body language and postures and movements and things that, that we often don't notice because we're so verbally, so based by words. Um, so I think the big mistake is you know, keeping the pet sheltered in the house so it doesn't catch a disease and it doesn't learn how to be a regular dog. And then you have to deal with that for its whole life. It needs to be going to the big box warehouse store and seeing forklifts and people and, you know, it needs to be out to dinner on the sidewalk patio restaurant and hear a motorcycle and truck go by. And, mm-hmm. You know, if not, it's scared of those things. The rest of life. I think that's one of the biggest problems we make is the lack of socialization and exposure in the mm-hmm. young dog, because we've been taught by modern society and Western medicine to be so afraid of diseases. Right. And I, and I will, well, I won't attest to this uh, and I haven't experienced it in my neighborhood, but uh, Amber has taken the dog on many walks around the neighborhood and has taken the dog to the dog park. And, you know, um, many, many people are like, oh, he's so cute. How old is he? And then we're like, oh, you know, I think it was at the time it was, um, you know, he's 10 weeks old. And they're like, oh, well, you shouldn't have him here at the dog park. He's got to have his vaccines. And like they were so they were giving her such a hard time for having the dog out being a puppy playing. Uh, because they were so scared that he wasn't up to his vaccine schedule and he was going to catch something. It was just like, we're like, yeah, we're, we're good, you know, but they look at us like we're like, 
bad pet owners like well you're endangering this dog right now and i was just like holy mackerel so yeah the shaming uh she got on a couple of occasions was <laughs> was pretty hysterical actually to me so yeah. but she stood you know stood by our values and everything else like that and you know he's better for it like you said he's not scared to a fault. I mean, he, he doesn't care if a car passes by, he doesn't, you know, it, it thunders or lightnings out outside doesn't make a bit of difference to him whatsoever. He's, he loves everybody. You take him out of public. He just runs up to people. He's super friendly dog. Um, so, I mean, I think that's as a result of him being social. He's just a very good social puppy. I think, yeah, it, it is. And you know, it's, everybody's a different situation. Like I said, you know, you could be somewhere, a really dirty situation. Um, where you might pick up something, but if you do the diet right and you, you know, and you, and you go into these things without fear and just, you know, know that nature knows what's doing, you know, you're going to have a healthy puppy. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. You, you did, you touched on the vaccines, you know, and another thing I would just say that's, that's important. Like, like you said, we're not anti-vaccination We're we're vaccination, right. situational vaccination is, is what we're right, really exactly. promoting, you know? And, and so I, I was watching TV the other day and they, they had this, um, it was a documentary and, you know, they showed dogs, you know, that were labs and, and they were out on the farm and running through the, the bushes and everything else like that. And, you know, when it when it comes to like fleas and ticks, you know, I would say, well, maybe that's like a scenario where you might recommend something for fleas and ticks for a dog. I mean, it's out like literally running around in a field like all day long where Barry is in our home <laughs> and in a gated community <laughs> and he goes out to the bathroom. We take him to the dog park and he rides in the car and he comes to the office. I, I seriously doubt he's exposed to many ticks. Um, well, and I'm going to I'm going to give you two sides to that story, too, like mm -hmm. I do with everything. Um, so. Barry, you know, your, you know, your neighborhood is, you know, there's pesticides. So there's probably not many, you know, fleas and ticks. You're right. But fleas and ticks travel on mice and rabbits and squirrels. Mm -hmm. And even though he doesn't go far, that doesn't mean he's completely not exposed. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, anywhere you have rabbits, ticks, mice, or anything like that, um, rabbits, squirrels, mice, um, you, you have potential exposure to those things. It comes back to, for, to me, for terrain. If you don't have the toxins in your body that those insects want to feed off of, um, and I don't know if anybody really knows what those are necessarily. I'm sure somebody somewhere has studied that. I don't really know exactly what it is, but I know that they're going for the toxins. Um, just like people and mosquitoes, um, some people can stand outside and the mosquitoes don't bother them. Other people get eaten alive. Right. I think it's because of what's in the body, whether it's the B vitamins or the fatty acids or the sugary foods or, or whatever. I think the same thing applies to the fleas and ticks for the most part. So mm -hmm. those hel hel those labs, those big, happy, healthy hunting labs, Labrador retrievers, they're running through bushes where there are a lot of ticks and they are, they do have a lot of exposure to ticks. I really honestly think it comes down to what's in them as to whether or not the ticks infest them or not. Now you'll have the little seed ticks covered in their fur from running through the bushes. And you need to wash those off or brush those off, but they're not attached to the skin taking a blood meal. I don't think they attach to the skin taking a blood meal unless there's something in there they want. So if you you know, if your dog doesn't get out very often and you live in an apartment and it's feeding dry processed kibble, well then there's a lot of stuff in this body that the fleas and ticks are attracted to. And you may have to use the chemical flea and tick preventatives. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in other situation eating, raw and home cooked and real foods and getting lots of exercise and good work-life balance 
know, you may not need those, those chemicals. So mm. depends on the situation. And so for some people I'm recommending the chemicals, which for people who come to me for holistic medicine or my holistic title, they think because I'm holistic, I'm anti-chemical and I don't like chemicals. I don't want to put chemicals on your dog, but in certain situations, that's a better option than having them infested with ticks that spread Lyme disease and mm-hmm. all these other things. Right. No, absolutely. It's that, that acute care standpoint, you know, once again, when it's situational yeah, in right. nature. So, yeah. so you, you did just allude a little bit to, to dry kibble. And um, so, you know, when, when Barry came from the breeder, he had a particular type of dry kibble that they said, all right, you know, this is what he's been eating and this is what you want to keep him on and, and all that. Um, so then, you know, my, my initial thought is, and I, and at that point until you educated me, I didn't, I didn't even really consider that there was anything other than dry kibble. I mean, being raw food or anything else like that. I mean, so, cause as I remember my dad's German short hair, which was, you know, purebred short hair and stuff, I'm pretty sure he just, which maybe another reason why he passed of cancer actually, uh, and didn't do so well. Um, but he was on dry kibble his whole life. I mean, that's all I remember. He used to keep in a gigantic garbage can in the garage. I mean, and that's, that's what he fed him every single day. So, so we obviously, when we met with you, you discussed like, you know, to the best of our ability, we want to try to get him off that dry kibble. We want to try to get him on some, some raw product obviously. And so, and I was just thinking the whole entire time, you know, it's just dry kibble organic. That was the only, that's about as far as I was going. Um, so, so what do you recommend? You know, I know so, what you recommend in general, but you know, how do you, is there a transitional period to wean them off? And then how do you, how do you do that? So, so it, um, again, you know, your puppy is young enough that he can switch to the food pretty quickly. The reason is the reason I say young enough is the dry process kibble, which is what everybody feeds. It's what I fed my dog, all my dogs until just a few years ago when I learned about, you know, became who I am now. Um, and a little sidebar there. One of the ve- the big one of the biggest companies. What's well, Science Diet? I don't mind saying their name. Um, in vet school, they will give every veterinary student for the four years that we're in school free food for up to four pets. So we come out of vet school, you know, big fans of Science Diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of other big companies. It's not, but they kind of they kind of have that little niche. So we come out of school thinking dry kibble is what's, is what's best. And that's all you see on TV commercials. And that's what we've been doing for 80 or a hundred years or whatever. So that's why people like you, you know, even educated, healthy people just haven't really realized that there's another option because that's all we're exposed to as consumers is the dry kibble and the canned food. So the dry kibble, highly processed, they cook it at such a high temperature so they can then put it through an extruder, an extrusion process to make it into the little balls of kibble, that it kills most of the enzymes that help you digest the food and it actually kills most of the nutrients in the food. So then they spray on a synthetic man-made vitamin mineral mix that you know looks good in the lab, but may or may not be bioavailable in the gut of your pet. You know, some do fine on it and some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, depends on the individual. But that inflammatory that that food's very inflammatory in the gut. It keeps you in a constant state of borderline diarrhea, you know, borderline inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's or whatever, whatever we want to call it. So if they've been eating that for years and years and years, and you try to switch them to a really rich, healthy, raw food, it could really give them severe diarrhea, stomach upset. Um, 
So if that were the case, you would want to maybe go to some cooked food, like home cooked food, um, like Sunday crock pot dinner. You know, the dogs are really supposed to eat that we, the way that we're supposed to eat. And most of us don't eat the way we're supposed to, but True. they're supposed to eat, you know, you know, the farm in Montana, you know, they should have been, you know, killing some squirrels and mice and chasing some varmints around and, you know, um, getting some scraps from the garden and your scrap table scraps and stuff instead of the dry processed food. That's the kind of the way they evolved with us over 30,000 years or however long it's been is they've been cleaning up the, the rodents around our camps and eating our scraps. So their GI tract hasn't evolved for the high inflammatory content, you know, in the processed food. Um, so, they may not be able to switch to raw food, which I think is the greatest thing ever. Frozen raw food is organs, meat, bones. You know, it's the same thing they would eat if they went out and killed a squirrel or a chicken. Mm -hmm. um, but those dogs have been eating the dry food for a long time and have had constant GI issues. It's hard to transition them. So the best way to transition them is, is slowly mix the foods together and really go to something cooked in the crock pot that's already greatly digested and really kind of um, it's just so gentle on the system, the crock potted food. So I'll recommend things like that for people. And, mm -hmm. um, again, it depends on the situation. Uh, but you have to be careful as much as I like raw food. I really have to caution people. You can't just go head first into it. You could make your dog sicker than it was before, you know, and then I'm the one that's in trouble for, you know, making the recommendation when you end up at the mercy clinic. Right, right, right. But isn't it interesting how, you see the exact same model in Western medicine and, and big ag, right? We feed ourselves yeah. like crap, right? And as a yeah. result of feeding ourselves crap, we get diseased. And as a result of disease, then we have to go to the doctor. And it seems to be the same model in veterinarian. They feed them the oh, kibble, yeah. get them like GI, super inflamed, all the other issues, and their dog starts getting sick and unhealthy. And now you got to go to the vet, and you got to go to the vet, and you got to get this this medication and take this vaccine. It's like It's like the same model it's exact same it's crazy it is, it is the exact same model it's just because it's still western medicine mm -hmm. you know it's still the same western medicine that's based on this very young you know ego driven you know artificial approach to health and wellness that's based on science you know science is just man's interpretation of things and we don't know very much about anything you know, to, so, no, um, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're all like walking, living, breathing miracles and to, to pretend that we can understand it and control things. Uh, right. yeah, that's, that's not the situation at all. So you spoke about, uh, the foods, uh, crockpot. That's great. You know, like you said, you know, berries, I was, again, I was amazed. I'm like, berry can have broccoli and berry can have, you know, fruits and, you know, in moderation, you don't, load them up with uh, a ton of veggies yeah. and fruits every single day. But trace, you know, definitely more than appropriate for a dog or an animal uh, to be able to do that. Another interesting thing was exercise. So again, when you, uh, as a new fledgling owner, I was like, you know, different breeds of dogs probably require different amounts of exercise every single day, but yet Barry's a puppy. So maybe you don't want to like run them to death because maybe that might cause issues. You know, it's like a little kid, you know, who's still developing and you, you don't want to like have him in there doing like heavy barbell squats every single day before his body's ready for those types of activities. You know, it's going right. to stunt growth or create joint issues and stuff like that. So when it comes to exercise in, in dogs in general, um, I don't see that cats really get much exercise, but, um, 
But w- what do you recommend? Just depends on the breed or what, how's that work? It depends on a lot of things. And before I forget, actually cats do need a lot of exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, we, as our society, and even sometimes as veterinarians, unless you're a cat specialist, it's like we forget about cats, you know, you know and it's because they're not as interactive or personality driven as dogs are. Mm-hmm. But cats are strict hunters. They sleep a lot, but they should be getting exercise and climbing and they should have the the big climbing tower and hiding thing in the corner and scratching posts and stuff. And for a kitten, a laser pointer or something for them to chase around, that's really important for them to develop, you know, their, their natural prey and hunting instincts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we see a lot of fat cats that are just like humans. They've been fed the dry kibble that's high in carbs and they've been laying on the couch and they're obese. So they need some exercise or something to chase too. But back to the puppies and the dogs, it does depend on their breed and what they were made for. Um, For example, a Jack Russell Terrier, you know, will be the same wide open crazy dog when he's 16 years old that he was when he was 16 weeks old. Um, You know, and the more mixed breeds and the larger dogs, they do, they are very active, but they'll slow down with time. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a basic you know, your dog needs all the play that he wants, but you don't want to force it on him. Like you said, there's growth plates and joint things. If you make him run further or jump more than he wants to, that's when he could damage a growth plate or something and really affect his, his development for the rest of his life. Um, and another common mistake we were talking about earlier is, is jumping out of the car. They'll, they'll jump in the car easily and they'll go somewhere and play. But when they come home, they're tired. Their muscles are fatigued, just like you've been out on the snow ski slopes all day. Mm-hmm. If they jump out of the car, then they are going to potentially injure something when they jump down. So he, they need exercise, but they need the amount of exercise that they kind of that they want based on their breed. And if you have a really smart breed or a hunting dog, they want a game. They want a challenge. They want something to hunt. And you have to give that to them or they're going to start chewing up the walls and chewing up toilet paper rolls. And mm-hmm. you've seen with your dog how amazing it is that he can do the food puzzles and things. That's such incredible stimulation for his brain and his body and his dexterity. If you I guess dexterity is the right word. Yeah. No, that was a, a very interesting thing. So uh, you, you recommend you're like your dog you know, Barry is a, uh, is a burn to doodle. So he's a mix between a Bernese mountain dog, which I would say is more of a work dog. You know, he's like a puller, you know, he's like, you know, right. Very cold weather oriented too. Yeah. So not really yeah. ideal for Florida. Yeah. And then, and then poodles are historically smart, you know, very, very smart mm-hmm. breeds generally. And so your recommendation to us was to get this food puzzle. And I got to be honest with you, when Amber went online and bought this thing and we, it, we got home and we were supposed to put the treats inside of it, I was like, there is no way that dog is going to be able to figure out how to move those pieces in order to expose the treats to get to them. And all of a sudden, <laughs> and I would say certainly in the beginning, he was kind of just pawing at it. You know, and just you kept pawing and pawing because he could smell it, you know, and then by accident he was getting things open. But he he figured it all out and I couldn't believe it. Well, last night we did it again. And now I honestly can tell you he's got it like there's there's red and orange like little buttons to move. He on the yellow ones, he just uses his nose and slides it forward and then eats all the way around those. And then 
there's this like wheel in the middle that you have to spin to open up these different compartments. And he's very methodical about it now. Now he paws at that one until it gets open and then the red one slides in. He'll eat that. He'll nose it back up, eat that treat, and then he'll kind of go clockwise to the next one and then start doing that one. And he just works his way all the way around the wheel clockwise. And within five minutes, he's opened up every single little trap door, eating all the treats. And then he looks at me like for reward, you know, he's like all happy with himself right now. So, so now, uh, we're looking at leveling up to the, the, to the more challenging, uh, puzzle, but I, I didn't even realize that you could play brain games, you know, with these animals like this for sure. So that was pretty yeah, cool. They're very, they're very, very intelligent. We don't give them enough credit. And, um, you know, back to, I'm just thinking of things as we go along, like the mistakes people make, um, with puppies because they're, their behavior and body language, that's how they really learn. They figure out quickly what we're doing. You know, they know when you put on certain shoes or certain clothes that you're going to work mm-hmm. versus the clothes you wear to the dog park or out for a run. Uh-huh. Um, and they know that when you pick up a certain coffee mug or juice bottle or blender bottle in your keys or whatever, they know when you're leaving. And they have a pretty good idea of if you're just going out for a minute or if you're gone for the day. Um, and they'll learn things inappropriately from us too. They'll, they'll start making associations as we make certain moves or, you know, if you're upset about something, they'll associate with something and they'll learn the wrong things too. So people kind of think the puppy is, is, you know, it just hangs out at the house and you feed it and you play with it and there's not much to it. You know, we, we, not you, but a lot of often people will get a puppy just because they want something in the house or they want, you know, it brings more ambience and energy and pleasantness to the home when you come home from work and, and things like that. And we, um, we get puppies for us. We don't get them for them. We get them thinking of ourselves to think of them. So you've got to really think about the dog at home and the cat and make their life stimulating and, you know, enjoyable with the puzzles and the games and the training you can train a dog to do pretty much anything um, if you'll just take the time to do it. And then they feel fulfilled and they feel, I know I'm anthropomorphizing or putting a human emotion on them, but mm. you can see it. They want to please. They've been bred to do a job. And when they do that job, it is fulfilling for them in some way. Mm-hmm. So we've got to help them and let them do what they need to do. They're like a child. They're just constantly <laughs> observing their environment and uh, learning and growing and adapting to it. I mean, it's, it's for sure. No doubt. And you're right. When I grab my keys and put my shoes on, he's right by my side (laughs) saying, don't go (laughs) basically. And then, but then there's nothing more fulfilling when you come home at the end of night and he comes like bounding across the room and he's so freaking excited to see you. Yeah. That's, that's a good part of going home for the end of the night. Um, So if you get a new puppy or you get a new cat or you anything else like that, you know, how often should they really consult with somebody in the beginning and how do you schedule that out? And then, you know, going forward after, you know, maybe the beginning is, is it more like supportive kind of maintenance visits? Well, so to I, speak? I do agree with the current way Western medicine does the puppy visits and appointments and exams that they want to see them every three to four weeks. Now they want to see them every three to four weeks to give them vaccines, but I like the young growing puppies. I like for them to be seen by a veterinarian 
every three to four weeks, just to make sure that they're, they're developing properly and that they're putting on the right amount of weight and that you're feeding enough and, you know, all these things. Once they get to this four to six months age, even the conventional veterinarians, they've given them all their puppy vaccines. They don't typically see them again until they're a little over a year age when they're due for their one year shots. Um, I think the same is true. And I think it depends on what your dog is, is doing. If you have an agility dog or a working dog, it needs to see, you know, a chiropractor or a rehab person every couple of months. Um, and, you know, and if they have an actual problem, they may need to be seen every week or two while you're working that out. Same as, you know, if I was coming to you for my own body. Sure. Um, so in the beginning, they, I think they should be seen a lot. And I think we should check them for worms and check their poop. And, um, um, and then as they, as, they, as they get older, you see them less often unless you have a really good reason to do so. Otherwise, once a year, twice a year for a really good checkup mm-hmm. if you really want to be proactive. Um, and you know, a lot of people don't do that. That's, I think that's one of the reasons why the regular vets still get the vaccines every year is they don't get a chance to see your dog. You don't ever bring it in. Um, but the right lifestyle, you don't need to take it in. So again, it depends on, you know, but the puppies, I think we should check on the puppies every few weeks until we know that they're well on their way to being a normal dog. Mm. Yeah. Understood with that. Yeah. I mean, that's in my practice too. I mean, our wellness members generally aren't coming in because they have pain. They're coming in because they want to be like proactive to prevent, you know, rather than to treat. So, you know, that absolutely with that. So, so if there's, I'm sure there's going to be many, many listeners out there that are wondering like, man, this sounds like too good to be true. I want this gentleman to be in charge of my pet. Um, tell us about, um, some of the costs associated with, uh, bringing you on board to, to look after somebody's dog or cat. So, um, so again, I do house calls. So I, um, I try to charge appropriately for my time Mm -hmm. and I, I, um, when somebody contacts me initially, I send them a questionnaire, you know, intake forms, probably like you guys have. And, um, and I really read through it. I have a lot of Chinese medicine questions and I really, I really try to get an idea of what's happened in this pet's life before I came into it. And, and I try to decide or have an understanding of most of them have chronic illness, whether it's orthopedic or chiropractic or allergies or gut issues, you know, they, they're coming to me because they have something that's been going on forever that, that nobody has fixed. Um, so I really review their past records and a, a lot of questions I send to them and try to have an idea of what can we do to undo or fix what happened in the past that's brought us to this point. And then I do the house call exam. Um, and the short answer is my initial visit is $315 for my time and research and the initial exam. Um, Sometimes we do that blood work we talked about or some additional testing that is going to, you know, cost whatever it costs. Um, and then my, my follow-up visits for dogs that need kind of ongoing or cats that need ongoing acupuncture, ongoing herbal changes. Um, we just need to check their skin and see if they're getting healthier or chiropractic. Um, those are usually a $165 visit because there's, there's less time involved. But those are the basic prices. Um, I recommend herbs and supplements and I recommend people change food, which um, can be you know, more expensive than what they've been feeding. Um, mm-hmm. But that's how you prevent disease and become healthy is putting higher quality, which is sometimes more expensive stuff mm-hmm. into their body. 
you are 100% hit the nail on the head right there. And again, I see it. Like I, I said in the beginning, I said, you know, some people put their the the health of their pet in front of the health of themselves, you know, and it's like a child. I mean, you always would put your child's health and well-being first before your own. I mean, that's the responsibility as a parent. But yeah, I'll make recommendations to somebody, you know, and let, let's just say that the entire process to fix what they've got going on, what their body is going to take six to eight weeks and ongoing like intensive rehab and adjustments and home care and supplementation. And that's two grand. And they're like, oh, I just I, I don't know if I would spend that much. But I would promise you if their dog had to go in <laughs> because they yeah. ate a sock or a ball of yarn and they had to like get that thing out of there and it's cost them three grand for emergency surgery, they would not bat an eye at spending the money obviously for that procedure so you know again for the cost to have an hour of your time and get amazing recommendations to then put a, a plan of action to care that's going to make your dog vital and healthy and have a better lifespan and better quality of life so you can enjoy your memories and create you know, those together um i don't know why anybody would not spend the money to do that for sure so i'm glad that we're doing it no doubt about that yeah cool thank you and i will say what you just mentioned about people putting their pets health before themselves even before i became holistic and i was just a conventional doctor and you can probably ask any veterinarian this um most pet owners are like that they will they will definitely scrape up and charge and find the money for their dog's emergency surgery, even though they don't really have it. They will put their health and wellness and their, you know, and their bills aside to take care of their dog when it's sick. People, most people are really, really great about that. And, you know, and what, you know, we're trying to do is, you know, spread that expense. You know, I don't want you to have to go in for a, four or $5,000 surgery because your dog ate a sock. Instead, let's spend a little bit, you know, let, or not even spend, let's just feed better food and talk about the things and maybe use some herbs and keep his gut healthy and satisfied where he doesn't feel the need to eat the sock in the future. You know, mm -hmm. so, you know, you can, you know, I think the money balances out in the long run, you know, yeah. instead of that big expensive surgery, you know, we, you know, spend a little bit more month to month on feeding better food, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And what did the surgery do in order to basically make the dog's life any better whatsoever so far as her health or add years to its life? You know, it, nothing. It saved its life. But at the end of the day, it didn't add years to its life, which this money is investing right. in your dog, not yeah. damage he's control. Gonna go, he's going to go eat another sock, you know, and <laughs> now we have some adhesions and scar tissues and we have all the momentum you know, all the fat and the loose connective stuff in the gut starts sticking to each other and creating scar tissues because mm -hmm. we had to go in there and cut a piece of intestine open. Right. So, and in, in, in even though we've had an acute intervention and saved his life, his guts are now a little bit less healthy than they were to start with mm -hmm. because there's some scar tissue in there. So, um, it's just, we live in a uh, this society and the way we're bombarded with media and advertising, you know, it's hard to convince people that wellness is a proactive thing and you have to do things ahead of time and prevent and it's hard to get that message out to the masses yeah but we'll do it one podcast Good. at a time there's no doubt yeah. about that so for our listeners out there that um that would like to get uh look you up or get a touch with you or anything else like that what's the best way to do that so email is great um i have a website um first of all my website is drmattparker.com just d-r-m-a-t-t parker.com and email you can be found on the website but the email is just vet 
at drmattparker.com. Um, and then some of the food stuff, um, on my website, there's a nutrition page that I've got a 14 page document laid out about the different ways to feed like the raw food and the home cooked food and what the dry kibble is all about and, and how to do it and a few recommendations. So people can go download that or look at that document. It's just a nutrition document on my website. It's easy to find. Mm-hmm. And that's a good place to start for people to understand, you know, where I'm coming from, the way I describe all the parts of food and, and moisture. I mean, just quickly, we're all, our bodies are what, 60 or 70% moisture or something like that. And yeah. The dogs are, and if they ate a chicken or a squirrel, it'd be 60 or 70% moisture. The dry kibble in the bag that everybody's buying, it's less than 10% moisture. So what's that doing to your eyes and your brain and your kidneys and your, mm-hmm. your joints and your ligaments? And, you know, because we're so much fluid and we're just desiccating and pulling all the fluid out of our, bo- out of our bodies when we feed them that food. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, that's there. It's, it's on the, on the website. There's some good nutrition information and I can be contacted through mm-hmm. there. And, and I, and I welcome contacts. I love to put my hands on the dog. I'm, I feel like that's so important and we've talked about it, but just like we've done here for people who, um, too far away or whatever, I'll, I'll get on the phone and, and read the prior records and, you know, see if I can help you figure out, you know, what you can do differently, even if, you know, you're so far away that I don't get to put my hands on the dog. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. And as a side note, the the uh, thought of the day, the reason why all animals and things on the planet Earth are seventy percent water is because the Earth is as well. So, and we all come from the Earth. <laughs> um, I don't know if I. I mean, I knew that, but I don't know if I ever thought about that. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. That was something I actually learned the other day watching uh, watching an interview with a quadruple board certified MD. He said, it's so obvious. And he's like, a lot you know, of the things our cells are, are 70% water and then our yeah. organs then are 70% and then our bodies are 70%. And he goes, and the reason that occurs is because the earth is 70% water covered by. Yeah. yeah. That's so obvious <laughs> and simple. <laughs> right on, man. Well, Dr. Matt Parker, thank you so much for your time today. I'm sure this is going to be one of the best uh, uh, responses to the podcast we've certainly done. It's certainly applicable. And, uh, I hope you can handle some of the volume of uh, phone calls and stuff that are going to come your way once we get this up uh, next week. So, Well, Dr. Bill Jensen, thanks so much for the accolades and your time. It's been fun. Thanks. All right, man. Look, sir, look forward to seeing you on our next little follow-up with Barry. All right, cool. All right, man. Have All a good right. day.